morning, we believe right there in your house, wherever you're viewing right now, the rain of the Spirit is falling on you. What a time in our country that we need really this, times of refreshing, as the Bible says, from the presence of the Lord. Hosea the prophet says that God will come to us as the rain. As Kimberly said, rain refreshes, rain restores, rain reinvigorates, rain causes a seed to grow. I believe that, that even right now in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of lots of uncertainty in our nation and around the world, I believe we are coming into a time of great, great revival. Out there this morning, can you give some fist pumps, some high five emojis? Can you talk back to us this morning? We are so glad that you're with us, that you're joining us again for our online campus. Uh, we're going to continue a series that we started last week entitled, How Do You Read It? So let me encourage you, if you didn't listen already to last week's teaching, I encourage you to go on YouTube, subscribe on our channel, and just download that, and you'll be up to point with where we're going because we're just going to kind of continue on with uh, another part two of that message that we started last week. We're living in such a, a troubling time, such a, a tense time, and, and, and we know that God, for, for the Christian perspective, that God's got answers for us. He's got help for us, and He most certainly has hope, and He is the God of hope, the Scripture tells us. So in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of people picking sides, I want to encourage you that we have got great consolation and we have got great hope from the God of all hope. He is the God of all peace and he will help us right now in our time of need. Can you say amen out there this morning? Again, the title is, How Do You Read It? The, the, if you weren't with us last week, really the, the basis of this title is that a man came to Jesus who was an expert in the Old Testament. He was a teacher of the law, and he came to Jesus, and he asked him a simple question. <laughs> it, wasn't a, it was a simple question to ask, a pretty difficult question maybe to hear all the detail that Jesus said. He said, how do I need, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded, well, what, what does the scripture say? And the man, the teacher said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then he said, which it says, love, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but the scripture goes on to say, again, remember that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels were written after Jesus had already died and was resurrected and had already ascended. He's already in heaven. And, and they're recounting what Jesus actually said and did. And we, we've got all these different stories and these, these scriptures and these parables that Jesus told. And, and so the writer is recording after the fact what the man was thinking, what the man was saying. And it actually says this, the man was trying to justify himself. And he asked Jesus this question, well, who's my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love everybody, well, who's my neighbor? And, and then on the heels of that, Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan that we talked in detail last week. 
And Jesus actually then, after he tells this, to- this story about the Good Samaritan and, and the priest didn't help him and the, and the Levite, the temple worker, uh, didn't help the man and, and the Samaritan who, who was at odds with the Jews, they, they, they were constantly fighting one another and, and this Good Samaritan actually was the one that helped and, and Jesus then asked that man, well, well who was the neighbor? He asked the, the expert, who was the neighbor? And, and the man said, well, it was the one who showed mercy. He, he couldn't even say the man's name. He couldn't even, he couldn't even call him a, Samar- just a Samaritan. He wouldn't even utter that word. He just said, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus followed up and said, just these easy words, go and do likewise. I've, I've been thinking about that all week. And, you know, since May 25th when we had an awful thing in our nation with the that we watched the murder of George Floyd and we've seen uprising and we've seen sides being picked and, and we, we, we've seen aggression and we've seen burnings and we've seen protests peaceful, a lot of peaceful po- protests and, and we've seen lots of good and I believe good's going to come from this. But, but uh, just simply Jesus just says to the guy, who, who's my neighbor? Just, just this guy was, this guy was. So now you do this. Here's what you do. T- to me... It's so simple, but wow, have we got it messed up. And really, the issue is deeper than just surface issue. We'll talk a little bit about it this morning. I really believe that your neighbor is anyone who needs mercy, needs compassion, and needs help. That is your neighbor. It's not your geographical neighbor in your apartment, condo, or house. It's not your your neighbor in the cubicle at work. It's not just that. It's just anybody that you come across (laughs) that needs mercy, needs compassion, and needs help. The Good Samaritan didn't know the man by the road, and and yet he walked across the other side to help him. Uh, There's no no, uh, reading that, that they had any kind of contact before. It's just somebody was in need, and his heart, full of compassion and mercy, reached out to help that broken human being. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning, uh, just setting up where we want to go. I really want to talk to you about how the Bible really details the progression of man's proliferation, how man came to being and how man just real quickly began spreading. Again, this is the Christian worldview. What we know from Scripture is that the, the Bible talks about the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, and details them and talks about them as the first parents, the first people, if you will, on earth. They, they had children. Uh, we, we know Cain and Abel were some of them, and, and we know that one was murdered. First murder came pretty quick in the, in the beginning of the book of Genesis. In fact, Genesis chapter 4. So can I just say right now that murder and aggression and killing isn't anything new. It's been going on for thousands of years. But Adam and Eve were the first parents, were the first human beings on the planet. And then, then we know that, that from their uh, uh, progenity, from their children, from, from the children's children going on, that then we come to uh, Noah's account in, in the scriptures, details in, in Genesis chapter 6 through 10, and it talks about Noah, and it talks about the flood, and it talks about his children, his three sons and their wives, and they were saved on that ark. And, and I, I don't know where you stand with that. I don't know if you believe in the flood. And you don't, I, I don't know where, you, where your stance is on that. But I just simply believe all the Bible. I, I believe it actually happened. That then from that, 
God then began repopulating the earth. We read in Genesis chapter 11 about this incident at a place called the Tower of Babel. And we'll talk about it for just a second is that there was a gathering of humans in, to, in this one area. And they began building a tower and said, let's build a tower that will reach to the heavens and, and make a name for ourselves. So it was almost like the first self-worship place, that, that we're going to be our own God. We don't know what, what, what happened with the God that made Adam and Eve or, or Noah's God, but we're going to be our own God. And God, the Bible says, God came down to confuse their language, to see what they were doing and actually confuse their language. And from that place, he scattered them. The scripture says God scattered people. And then they began gathering around the languages, what they spoke for me, New people groups. So this scattering is something that God did. But then throughout the whole course of the Bible in the Old Testament, we see hurt, we see pain, we see conquest, we see murder, we see aggression, we see crazy stuff, uh, all kinds of sin imaginable. We see the Bible's really not quiet on it. it, it it's, it's known from the beginning in the human race in man's dilemma and sin runs deep from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and the Bible says that sin was passed to all of us so we all are born in this earth. We're born sinners in need of a Savior. And so if you're viewing this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're a good person. Maybe you're married or you're single. you got a good job. You don't hurt anybody. But can I tell you, I believe the Scripture that you are in need of a Savior because in your life there is a sin nature that needs a new nature. You need to be born again. It's the only hope that we find in the Scripture. Paul talks about the same thought in the book of Acts as the Apostle Paul went from city to city and established churches. And in one place in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, I want to read it from one translation. He says this, This God made us in all our diversity from one original person. Notice that again. This God made us in all our diversity. Every human, every culture, every language group is diverse from one individual person, right? One original person, that's Adam. Allowing each culture to have its own time to develop, giving each its own place to live and thrive in distinct ways. God's plan was that there would be this, this, these different cultures, these different people groups that would be in different places on the earth. That, that, that was his original intent. That was what he did when he scattered everybody from Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. That we're different, we're unique, but we all have the ability to be under and worship the same God. The same God. The last prophet in the Old Testament was a man by the name of Malachi. And Malachi writes strictly to his Jewish audience that he's, he's a prophet to. And he says this in Malachi 2.10. Are we not all the children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Uh, uh, Look at those words for just a second. 
And again, he's writing, we would, we would say, he's, he's writing to the Jews, but if we, if we bring it over to the New Testament, we were saying, you, you know, concerning people who, who love Jesus and, and serve God now, he would be writing this to Christians as well, saying, are, are we not all the children of the same Father? Are we not created by the same God? And again, he's writing this specifically to how they were mistreating one another, that they were dishonoring one another, they were unfaithful to one another, they were, they were ripping each other off, they were, they were charging crazy uh, uh, interest rates to one another and stealing from one another and not respecting God's original covenant and agreement with one another. They were mistreating their own people, their own people. And really when we read the scripture, there is no distinction and we'll talk about it. There, there is just no distinction between what the color of your skin is from the Bible perspective. There's only two kinds of people from the Bible perspective. I, I know there's different nationalities. I know there's different languages. I know that. But from the Bible perspective, there are those who know God and there are those who don't know God yet. There are those who are Christians and there are those who are non-Christians. There are those who are believers and there are those who are non-believers. And those distinctions are all really that the Bible talks about. But the Bible makes no distinction between our love, our mercy, our compassion, and our help for those who love God and those who maybe don't love God. Our heart and our grace and our attention and our devotion and anything we can do as far as mercy needs to be extended freely to all kinds of people. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, he says, there's no distinction. I love this. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord, the same Lord, over all is rich to all who call upon him. There's no distinction. There's no distinction between, he says, the, the Jewish person or the Greek, the, the, the person who, who, who's, who's got litany and, and legacy of, of Old Testament and Scripture and prophets and might be the who's who, could, could, be a, could be under the generation. In my family lineage, it was King David. Well, that, that's great. But there is no distinction between that person and a Greek, a person who didn't have any covenant with God before they just said yes to Jesus. This is how God looks at us. We are all the same because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you shout yes, amen out there in your house? He goes on to say in Galatians 3.28, going to read you lots of scripture here. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, think with me here. He, Paul is telling us there's no ethnic difference. That's what he's telling us. There's no economic difference. There's no gender difference. No gender difference between a male and a female. We're all one in Christ, he says. There's no economic difference. If, if you're a billionaire, a multimillionaire, what, and, and then the person's just got a few bucks, there is no economic, there is no difference. We're all one in Jesus Christ. There is no one greater people group. There is no ethnic difference. We are all in need of a Savior. 
and his name is Jesus. So, so Paul tells us, listen, let me drill it into you this morning, is that racism is a sin issue. Racism isn't a skin issue. One more time. Racism is a sin issue. Racism isn't a skin issue. It's not the color of your skin that makes you a racist or not. It's what's in a man or a woman's heart. And Paul tells us here, whether it's racism, whether it's social classism, or whether it's sexism, male, female, all these are barriers to unity. And we're seeing it now more than ever. All these different barriers, all these different roadblocks, all these different sides being taken. Everybody's got an answer and everybody's real quick to tell you what they believe. And it's like now this has been going on for a couple years or several years now. It's like if it, either you're for me or against me. There's no debate. There's no, there's no let's talk. There, man, we're, we're, we're just running hot. We're running heavy. And we're just running froth. And, 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 and it's, it, it, it's getting pretty nasty. And let me encourage you. I think we all need to pump the brakes. We need to come back to God's word. We need to pray a whole lot more. Maybe we need to fast. And we need to get some answers from what God has to say concerning what is going on right now in America. Uh, when we read again the New Testament, the, 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 the author that wrote the most in the New Testament was the Apostle Paul. He wrote about two-thirds of the, the books in the New Testament. He had a lot to say, and it, and it made it to the Holy Scriptures. And Paul uses this phrase over and over and over in, in, in Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Corinthians and Romans. He uses it over and over, this one phrase, in Christ, in Christ, or in him he'll use. This phrase is used repeatedly. It all depends on what translation you read from 120 to 135 or 40 different times. In him, in whom, in Christ. You know, in him we live and move and have our being. We find our identity in him. Listen, so Paul is telling us when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, the first thing you get is a new identity. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life, died for me. Paul tells us that we're new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. This is how now, because Christ lives in you, lives in me, this is how we think. This is how we act. This is how we talk. This is how we respond. This is how we serve. This is how we give. This is how we love. This is how we forgive. We don't do it in yourself. We do it in and through the one who's living in you and me, and that is the person, Jesus Christ. So Paul tells us, you have a new identity. He tells you and I, put off the old man. Come on, put off the old man. 
be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man. He tells us that in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You got to do something. You got to put off that old man. You got to put off racism. You got to put off aggression. You got to put off anger. I'm not saying you're not frustrated. I'm not saying I don't want you. I want change. Listen, I want change. I want, I'm tired. I, I I don't want to keep going down the same road we've been going down for generation after generation. And I'm a white man up in here, as you can tell. And my black friends, I want it different for my black friends. I want it different for my brown friends. And I'm committed to change myself and be an agent of change. But I know that you, you personally, me personally, I've got to find my identity not in my race. I've got to find my identity in Christ. Paul tells us that. That's got to be our view. And now he tells us that since you're in Christ, he he gives us a new purpose and he gives us a new direction. And he says, I'm going to to put you in a body where Christ now is the head and and you're you're, you're the body. You're my body on the earth. And this is how you live and this is how you're going to move and this is is what you're going to do and this is how how you serve and this is how you're going to represent me. You're going to represent me to a lost and dying world like right now that's broken and hurt and confused and looking for answers. And we've got the greatest message The message of salvation. A message of not only a brighter day, but come on, kingdom come right now. His will be done right now on earth as it is in heaven. I know murder and I know a lot of the stuff that's going on right now is not the will of God in heaven. It's not in heaven. And so it is not God's will on the earth. And so I'm believing God for change. I'm believing God for change, whether it's political change, if it's, if, if it's changing in government things and how we do things, what we do. I'm, I'm believing for spiritual change in all of us as well. I'm believing that God will use this awful event, what's gone on since May 25th. I'm believing this awful event will turn around and be used for God's glory in people finding Jesus Christ. But what I do know, and I, I, I've been there. Man, Jesus tells this parable, or he really tells, not really necessarily a parable, but he actually tells us these, this word in Luke chapter 6, then he tells us what we need to be doing. I, I've been thinking about this the last 10 days or so. He tells us in Luke 6, 41, why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you got a log in your own? <laughs> Everybody listening Right now, or whether you'll listen later, if you're live or you're watching this later, everybody has sin in them. Everybody has had racist thoughts. Every nation, every people group, everyone from Genesis 11, Genesis 11 that was scattered and now is alive on the earth and has ever lived on the earth because I believe This racism has just run very deep from the very beginning of time. So he says, why why, why are you concerned about the speck in somebody else's eye eye, when you got a log in your own? How how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get get rid of that speck in your eye and you can't see past the log in your own eye? He says, you're a hypocrite. (laughs) 
First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. That might be good scriptures for all of us during this time. Let's get the log, not the speck, the log of racism out of our eye, of judgment, of anger. Let's get, let, let's get this out of us before we try to address it in anybody else. Uh, maybe uh, this morning you're like, wow, Pastor Gary, I was really kind of hoping you were going to give me a really up, uh, you know, uh, you know, encouraging word. You really kind of got to like drill down in the Bible. And, and, and I don't know about all this social issue stuff. And I don't know about you know, preaching kind of current events. And, and just preach the Bible. Well, li- listen, can I, can I tell you that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus appears to John who got exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And he tells John about these seven churches in modern-day Turkey. Asia Minor was a term at that point. Uh, and he tells them about these seven churches. And he tells them real-life things that were going on in culture that were then affecting people in the church. Jesus tells them that. He says, I know what's going on in culture, and it tells him, I, then I tell you, I know what's going on in the church. Because what was going on in culture was going on in church. So, so listen to me, church and culture is inseparable. It's inseparable. What goes on in the city affects the church. What's going on in every city, what goes on in our nation affects the church. What's happening with racism, what's happening in the culture with racism affects everything, and it affects the very heart of God, and, and, and it hurts God. And so he wants us to address it. We can't be silent about it. No one, no one can be silent about it. There has to be justice, and there has to be righteousness, and there has to be mercy, and there has to be compassion, and there has to be understanding. There has to be where all of us just put down our stones. Jesus told that. To the brothers who caught that woman, they said, in adultery, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. He was telling them, you guys got logs in your eyes, and you're trying to deal with the speck in this woman's eye. Matthew chapter 5, I was reading this last couple days, and I saw it maybe a little bit different because of what we're dealing with right now. Jesus, in, in this Sermon on the Mount, one of the longest continued teachings we have in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that Jesus actually gave when the men and women were on the hillside. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, you heard that it was said, you shall lo- love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, no, notice, but I say to you, He said that phrase, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. He said it about six or seven times in this teaching. You've heard it was said, but I say, but I say, but I say. I would encourage you right now in this season to listen to what he says more than what they say. They said this, he said. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, verse 44, Love your enemies. Bless those who hate you. Do good to those. Bless those who curse you. Do do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Man, I was thinking about this, again, this last several several days, that 
Jesus was telling them, in the culture that you live in, some are going to view you as an enemy. He tells them that. Some are going to hate you. Some are going to curse you. Some are going to persecute you. We can see that right now going on in America, going on in cities all across our nation. And things are happening all around the world right now. And Jesus says, in response to people hating you and cursing you and persecuting you. Other countries, we see it's strictly religious. In this country, can I say, racism, racism. It's there, it's apparent. And Jesus says this and tells us, what we need to do is we need to love, bless, do good, and we need to pray. It's not saying that we don't get involved. It's not saying that we don't protest. It's not saying, but I'm saying the, 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 the principle, the bedrock issue in a believer's life, I'm talking to believers, is that we need to be people that reach out with blessing and prayer and compassion and mercy to even people who hate you, hate you. And I'm not saying that to any one particular race or group. I'm saying that to every single one of us. This is the posture of the Christian. Jesus said in Luke 6, whatever, just as you want men to do to you, do, do to them likewise. Do to them also. Uh, you, you, we, we cannot any longer be like this expert of the law, this teacher of the law, where, where, where in this parable, the Good, good Samaritan, Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Again, trying to justify yourself. What do you want me to do? Who's my neighbor? I know I'm supposed to love the Lord my God. I got no problem with that. My heart, mind, soul, strength. But love my neighbor as myself. Well, okay, okay. But I want to. I want to know who really is my neighbor. Do I really got to love everybody? Every skin color, every issue, every you know, male, female. Do I really got to love people that are lower economically than me? What, what do I do? What, what do I do? Yes, Jesus says. Yeah. Because Jesus says and tells us that your neighbor is anybody and everybody. Anybody and everybody. Because we come from the same God. This is your neighbor. Every person that you come across, whether you know them or you don't know them, that's your neighbor. And we need to be people who receive and people who love and people who respect and people, can I say it this way, honor every single person, man or woman, rich or poor, whatever race we honor and we respect because all of us have been made in the image of God. What we know from Scripture is that he created us all. He created us all. And he wants to be the father of all. Here's what I believe from the Bible. It might be semantics to some of you. But I believe that God is the God of everybody. But God isn't the father of everybody. For God to be your father, you have to be a son or a daughter. That means you have to submit to him. That means you have to recognize him. That means you have to want him in your life. That means he can talk to you, hard talk. That means he can teach you, 
That means He can correct you. That means He can love you. That means He can lead you. He's the God of everyone. The Scripture's real clear. But He's only the Father of those who choose to ask Him into their lives. A couple seconds, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you're far away from God or you don't know Him, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I hope you pray that prayer right there, wherever you're viewing. And I know one thing from the Scripture. God's going to hear you. And He's going to come into your life. Um, Not too long ago, well, several months ago before we actually couldn't meet any longer because of COVID, there was a young man that came into the service. First time, sat back in the back, raised his hand. We raised just, anybody want to make Jesus the Lord of your life? And he raised his hand. And he said the prayer. Talked to him afterward. And I said, what happened? You know, he said, man, I raised my hand. He said, he said I felt like, felt like my heart swelled up three times larger. <laughs> it's like the Grinch that stole Christmas. Come on, somebody. Heart just got big. Heart got big. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants to change your heart. If he has your heart, listen, he has your life. He'll change your view. He'll change what you think and what you do and what you experience. He, he wants to be the Lord, the Father of your life. We're, we hear a lot of, in times like these, um, the, one of the greatest proponent, I, I think probably the greatest proponent of civil rights issues in America, Martin Luther King, who was murdered in 1963. I was reading some of his writings when he was um, jailed in Birmingham. And I want to read you a, a quote. I'll show it to you, then I'll read a couple more in closing. He said this while he was in a Birmingham jail. The setup for it was that he actually left Atlanta with some friends because uh, in Birmingham there was going to be a protest against racism. And he said this, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Look at that for a second. Injustice in San Isidro is a threat to justice in Seattle. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow provincial, quote, outsider, agitator mentality. And the outsider agitator mentality was the thought that he was writing this letter from prison in Birmingham to some white pastors who were very concerned with him as a pastor and what he was standing for. And I mean, churches back then just didn't even get it. White churches didn't get it. Didn't get it. And I'm wondering if we still get it right now. Wherever injustice is, the church should be. You should be. The Good Samaritan saw injustice, a man beaten, bloodied, bruised on the side of the road. And he did something. And those who should have done something didn't. Don't be the bystander. 
Get involved. Speak up when you hear racism and see things. Speak up. Be a person of mercy and compassion where you run to the problem. You don't run away from it. Martin Luther said a couple different things in closing. We must never, or excuse me, we must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. Listen to this last quote. There are those who are asking the devotees of the civil rights, quote, when will you be satisfied? When, when, will, you, when will you all be satisfied? He said this, we can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of unspeakable horrors of police brutality. Guys, th this, th this is, this is over almost 60 years ago. And we still have this going on. I'm believing for change. I'm believing for changes of hearts. Repentance means this, a change of heart and mind resulting in a change of direction. If our heart and our minds get changed, our direction changes. It can only happen with repentance. I'm praying a spirit of repentance in the church and our countries, our cities, our states, and that God would do what this last song we sang, that God would send the reign of the Spirit and revival would sweep across our nation, our city, our state, because people, me, you, we are repenting. We are changing our mind. Our hearts have been rended. Our hearts have been broken. To say, God, change me. What I'm thinking, change me if I've got racism and, and aggression towards another race or people group. Help he deliver me. Let my heart be broken for what breaks your heart. The most familiar, I'll close right now, the most familiar passage of Scripture that Martin Luther King Jr., would say over and over in his speeches and when he, when he was going from city to city was Amos chapter 5, verse 24. And it's this. Let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. My prayer is that we as a church here at Spectrum, we as the body of Christ, that we would be people who believe and adhere to justice, justice for all people and righteousness, the God side, the God quality. Not just the government side, justice and legal, and, but the God side of righteousness that I pray it would run down in our cities, in our streets. It would run down like water and righteousness would be like a continual mighty stream. Let it begin in you. No matter where you're at, no matter what's gone on in your life, no matter what you viewed, no matter the culture you've been brought up in, 
Let justice and righteousness begin in you. And I believe you are going to see amazing change and we will experience change in our communities and in our nation. Come on, let's pray this morning. Father, we pray in a time of need, our hearts are heavy with what we've been experiencing and what people have been experiencing in our nation. We're asking you from Chronicles 714 that you would heal our land. Heal our land, oh God. Again, we bow our hearts, we bow our knees and we're saying we need you. We need you more than we've ever needed you in our lives. We've got sickness things that are still going on. We've got economic things that are still going on. And Father, this racism and prejudice and demonic assault from the very pit of hell that's been going on since the beginning of man. Help us get it right, Lord. Help us make, make changes for this next generation. Let us see the tide turned. We pray, Father, in your name. Right there before we close the service, I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior.